Hello and welcome to Filling the Sink, a podcast from Catalan News. My name's Lorcan Doherty and today we're talking about the independence campaigns in Catalonia and Scotland. On the 6th of May, the Scottish National Party won a historic fourth term in the Scottish Parliament elections. In February's Catalan election, pro-independence parties again won a majority of seats and for the first time over 50% of the popular vote. But while the independence movements in both countries may appear to have a lot in common, there are undoubtedly plenty of differences too. In this week's episode of Filling the Sink, we'll be playing a bit of Spot the Difference, comparing and contrasting the independence campaigns in Scotland and Catalonia. I'm joined now by Laura Paus, Business and International Editor at ACN, the Catalan News Agency. Hello, Laura. Hello. And Guifre Jordan, Deputy Editor of Catalan News. Hi, Guifre. Hi. Hi, Lorcan. A little bit of history first, just in case people might be familiar with the situation in Scotland and not in Catalonia or vice versa. Back in the 18th century, 1707, the English and Scottish parliaments voted to join in a union. The legislation said they were united into one kingdom by the name of Great Britain. That then became the United Kingdom later. What about in Catalonia and Spain? What's the situation here? Well, um, basically in, in, in the 16th century, at the beginning of the 16th century, Catalonia had its own institution and Castile at the time, Castile had its own institutions as well. But from that uh, century, they began to share the kings. After um, Fernando and, and Isabel, a lot of people might, might have heard about them. But for two more hundred years, they kept their own institutions. And it was not until uh, 1714, at the beginning of the 18th century, when Catalonia became a region in Spain and losing all its own institutions after a war in which Catalonia went for the losing part of this of this war of succession. Okay, and if we were to jump forward a few centuries, I mean, looking at the situation now in Scotland, since 1999, it's had its own devolved government. And I guess there's, it's quite similar in Catalonia. Well, Catalonia got uh, regained, actually, the self-rule after the Franco dictatorship, so at the late 1977. But, of course, the situation, I would say, is a bit different. So self-government in Catalonia is longer in age than in Scotland, but actually the different process, the independence process have moved forward much more quicker in Scotland than in Catalonia that has been battling uh, for more time, for for more powers, and even still for the right of the referendum, for instance. Mm -hmm. And I suppose part of that is maybe the the actual constitutional status, if you compare the two. Yeah, I mean, here uh, here in Catalonia, it's very clear what the Spanish constitution says. So the Spanish constitution says in its article 2, if I'm not wrong, that Spain is a, is an unbreakable nation. So it's the only nation in Spain. Indivisible. Spain indivisible nation. And Catalonia has also has always defended that it is a nation, or most of people in Catalonia, I'd say, that they, they believe Catalonia is a nation. And even in the latest Statute of Autonomy, which is like the basic law on on the extent of Catalonia's self-rule, they included the fact that Catalonia is a nation, something that the Spanish Constitutional Court in 2010 ruled n- not illegal, but it said 
it lacked um, legal value or legal status. So okay. it, it had no legal status, yeah. just to say that. And I would say that's a clear difference between Scotland and Catalonia, the fact that Scotland is clearly recognized as a nation by all British prime ministers, while a uh, Spanish president has never recognized Catalonia as such. I mean, I was looking at Scotland, you know, in terms of the history, I suppose the fact that the first past the post system in Westminster made it very hard for, say, the Scottish National Party to make inroads at UK elections. It wasn't until 1999 when Scotland voted for and got its own parliament that the Scottish National Party was able to enter, well, first as the main opposition party, and then since 2007 until the present day, the main party of government. And of course, they legislated and agreed with the British government in 2014 to hold an re- independence referendum. The question on the ballot was, should Scotland be an independent country? 55% said no and 45% said yes. And there was an incredibly high turnout of almost 85%. And that might have been the end of the road for the Scottish independence campaign for at least a generation if it wasn't for Brexit. Following the UK's decision to leave the EU, despite 62% in Scotland voting to remain, the Scottish government announced that officials would begin planning for a second referendum on independence. So that's kind of the story in Scotland. What about Catalonia? Well, I'd say the independence camp began to skyrocket just after that constitutional court ruling on the status of autonomy, as I, as I mentioned before, back in 2010. So after that year, the the shares of the independence uh, supporters skyrocketed from twenty percent to almost fifty in in a couple of years. It was very it was very quick. That that also made the independent the pro independence leaders and people uh, push for a referendum, but with different results compared to Scotland, although it was the very same years. Mm-hmm. And I I would say. A clear difference as well is that uh, as soon as the pro-independence movement gained force here in Catalonia, it also had a strong echo on the streets with big demonstrations every year since 2010, first asking for a a referendum, then directly asking for independence. While although there were demonstrations in Scotland, they've never seen anything like we saw here Mm -hmm. in Barcelona for some years. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, and of course... Catalonia had an independence referendum in 2017, but very different circumstances to the Scottish referendum that we saw in 2014. Yes, uh, definitely very, very different uh, situation. Um, as we were saying, um, in Scotland, uh, there was this agreement between London and Edinburgh to hold a legal binding referendum. So everything was clear. The whole electoral process was clear. There was an electoral campaign. The whole, every party from unionists to pro-independence could campaign in a, in a democratic process. Um, the situation was very, very different here in Catalonia. The referendum was considered illegal by Madrid. They didn't recognize it as such. So unionist parties wouldn't take part. They would boycott it. And afterwards, we had this big surprise, I would say, I don't know if you would agree, Gifre, yeah, of the police trying to stop uh, the boat going ahead and sometimes with strong violence. And that was striking uh, for, for me yeah. as a citizen and as a journalist. Mm-hmm. Actually, there were 1,000 injured, uh, according to the Catalan Health Department, in a single day. Yeah. And all of them were voters 
who who were trying to cast their ballot in 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 these polling stations. It must have been a strange day, Laura, to be working as a journalist covering that, being from Catalonia. Yeah, it was. It was, and we were in a team with Gifrea. Yeah, and uh, it was a very stressful day in Catalonia. I actually reported about the Scottish referendum in 2014 as well. So I could uh, spot the differences, (laughs) which are very clear, obviously. and I mean, the Scottish referendum as journalists and especially international correspondents at the time, it was a very interesting uh, process to see, uh, not a democratic, normal polling day. Uh, it was very tiring uh, from the professional point of view. We started very early and finished very late. But it was a normal political situation. You just send your stories and so on. So it was... Uh, quite clear what happened, who won, etc. While here in Catalonia, uh, we worked as many hours as in Scotland, but the impact, I would say, it was stronger. I, I, I couldn't process, I don't know if it was the same experience for you, Gifre, but I couldn't process what was happening because we were just working and, and writing about it. But afterwards, it was quite a big shock to understand how different one day and the other mm-hmm. had been. Of course, uh, and I would say that's the clear difference between mm-hmm. Catalonia and Scotland. Why don't we talk a little bit about the elections that have just happened then? So uh, in Scotland just last week and also in Catalonia back in February. We did a podcast, Kiefer, you were there when we did a podcast on the Catalan election, but um, just a quick summary. Uh, yeah, well, basically a very quick summary and, and what is relevant for this podcast is that the pro-independence parties kept their majority in parliament with 74 seats out of 135. And for the first time um, in history, let's say, or in, in modern times, they also surpassed this 50% of the of the ballots, something that had never happened. And Laura, were you following the Scottish election? We were, we were. Our team, uh, international team, Natalia and uh, Nazaret, who work in Brussels, they were following the elections as well. Of course, it was clear uh, from the polls that the SNP would uh, have a, a strong uh, result. Um, they didn't get the overall majority, but of course, considering the results of the Greens, there is an overall majority of pro-independence parties in the Holyrood uh, Parliament. Yeah, and an increased majority of three seats. Okay, so we thought we would ask some of the pro-independence politicians themselves about their strategies and the any connections between the Catalan and Scottish independence campaign. Gifrey, you were speaking to Jordi Soleil and Gavin Newlands. Mm-hmm. Jordi Soleil being a, an Esquerra Republicana MEP and Gavin Newlands being a, an MP uh, for SNP. And apart from them, I also talked to a professor, a Catalan professor in Scotland, and I talked to him about the similarities and differences between both campaigns and what the future may hold. Let's take a lesson. Scotland's men's national team are hoping to do well in the upcoming Euros next month, and in the group stage they'll face England. Meanwhile, the Catalan national team has never played an official match, and its last friendly was in 2019. Why? Well, basically London has never opposed Scotland being part of FIFA's constituent nation of the UK whereas Spain has systematically blocked any effort of Catalonia to gain official recognition. According to the Spanish constitution, the only nation in Spain is, well, Spain. 
Robert Liniera, a political science professor in the University of Glasgow, told me the other day where these different national statuses come from. Spanish nationalism was built against uh, the peripheral nationalism. Whereas in the 19th century, Britain was building the largest empire ever. So what triggers British and in particular English nationalism is not Scotland, it's Europe. The result of this history lesson? In Scotland, uh, the right of self-determination was recognized in 2014 without any doubt. Pro-independence parties in Catalonia, they are not actually fighting for independence, they are actually fighting for the right of self-determination. It is then no surprise that Catalan independence campaigners see Scotland as a beacon, as Carras MEP Jordi Soler had no problems acknowledging. So for us, the, the model keeps being the, the first uh, Scottish referendum, and we, we will work for that. Esquerra is now the main Catalan party for a split with Spain, and it aims to increase the support for a cessation the same way SNP did a decade ago, by governing. It's an opportunity to, to show that good governance can build uh, confidence um, for those uh, in government, in that case for independence parties, but also it's a chance to show the limits of uh, our home rule. But while in Catalonia, Scotland is the goal and its latest election was followed widely, the reverse doesn't work quite so well. I do view the position uh, of Catalans with a great deal of, of sympathy because ultimately there's a, a constitutional roadblock. In Scotland, that roadblock is, is political only. Soler suspects that Scotland's Yes campaigners want to keep their distance because they don't want their independence push to end up like Catalonia's. Voters beaten during the vote and leaders in jail and exile. So maybe that's why they, they are a bit uh, reluctant to be focused on Catalonia because, because of the reaction of the Spanish state, which was a, a barbaric, barbaric reaction. But could or should both campaigns cooperate a bit more? Soleil is open to exchanging experiences, but what about SNP? There's always opportunity to share experiences in, in regardless of what, what the situation is, if, it, if it's a shared goal. Catalonia and Scotland dissolved into Spain and the UK in the early 18th century, but the former after losing a war and the latter in an agreement as equals with England. Now both territories coincide in the pushes for independence 300 years later. One of the reasons for such a coincidence, the European integration process. So now you can have a small state and enjoy the access to big markets. A legal struggle could also be something common, as a potential second Scottish referendum could end up in the Supreme Court. Experts disagree on its possible outcome. It's quite likely that they say that because of the 2014 referendum was conducted uh, whenever the UK government decided to transfer powers to the Scottish government that uh, a referendum triggered by the Scottish Parliament would be unconstitutional. What is clear is that with or without independence, Scots will continue to celebrate their triumphs and moan after defeats in football. While Catalans, well, some will support Spain next month, others will back another country, and some won't follow it at all as they won't feel represented. Our thanks to Robert Liniera, Jory Soleil and Gavin Newlands.
So the independence campaigns in Catalonia and Scotland, they've coincided in terms of they're happening at the same time. But I mean, there's not really that many, there's not really strong links between them. But what's interesting is that since they've coincided in time in the pro-independence Catalan camp, let's say, they've always seen Scotland as kind of a model in the 2010s. So they were even idolizing uh, David Cameron. Yes, I mean, and I think it's in a, in a way obvious that uh, pro-independence politicians here in Catalonia idealize the situation in Scotland and even in London, considering the situation that they face in Madrid um, with uh, some Spanish prime ministers then sending the police uh, to stop the, the referendum, for instance. I, I think the differences are very striking. And the fact that Catalans uh, kind of consider David Cameron as a hero for the fact that he agreed on a legal referendum uh, in Scotland. I mean, it's a clear example of how much of a desire there was here in Catalonia for having that very same type of referendum, a legal one, one agreed with the Spanish government. And I would say the Catalan politicians up until the end of that uh, 2017 process, they were hoping that at some point Madrid would reconsider and uh, accept some kind of uh, legal or at least respected referendum. Uh, but of course, this uh, this never happened. Even the first minister, uh, Nicola Sturgeon, said that the Scottish referendum, uh, she said it was a shining example for for Catalonia. And if the SNP and the Scottish government has said uh, in numerous occasions, the fact that, that Catalonia, that Spain as well, could use the Scottish example uh, to solve the problem. And of course, post the 2017 election here in Catalonia, the, the legal reaction from Spain, obviously that's a huge difference right now between the kind of two independence campaigns, isn't it? Well, yeah, nine, nine politicians and activists are at the moment in jail, uh, serving decade-long sentences after having organised this referendum. And a number of them, including the former Catalan president, the, the the, the the main person in the referendum organization, Carlos Puigdemont, is in exile. So uh, in, in this 2017 uh, Catalan government, we have more or less half of them in jail and half of them uh, in exile. Uh, so that, that that is very different to, to Scotland. But I, I, might, I must say that in Scotland, uh, courts haven't played... Uh, role yet but maybe in the near future they might yeah there's some talk uh, obviously Nicholas Sturgeon has said that the Scottish Parliament is going to legislate for a second referendum in this term I think she told Boris Johnson on the phone that it's a matter of when not if but there's absolutely no guarantee that Boris Johnson is go- and his government are going to agree to this referendum and so it could end up in the Supreme Court there which would be something new for Scotland but something that I mean we've got so many court cases going on here in Catalonia yeah and, and I, I would say that even if it ends up in a court in the UK which I think it might not happen because or at least for our previous experience the British and the Scottish have always been keen on politics rather than court even if it, that was the case, it would never, I cannot imagine that it would ever get as nasty as here. Within the independence camps, it's politically speaking, it's quite quite a different situation. Like the Scottish National Party in Scotland is this huge party. I mean, they are supported by the Scottish Greens, but it's only eight seats in the parliament. Here, 
it's completely different. It's, 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 <laughs> at the moment, it's a mess, I'd say, <laughs> because we held an election on February 14th, and three months later, we haven't got a government yet, as of May the 13th. One of the reasons why we don't have government, uh, in my opinion, is that there is a lack of unity on what to do next in this in this road to independence, because pro-independence parties have a majority, but they don't agree on how to get to this to independence or what or what's next, you know. And this has been going on ever since the 2017 independence push. So the, the, there is no unity. Whereas in Scotland, the two parties for independence have said after the election that they are com- committed to this uh, second referendum. I think. The difference and is basically because of the consequences of one referendum and the other have been so different. It's very complicated to decide what are you going to do while you have leaders in prison and exile. And the shock of that uh, day is still very much alive. I mean, if Scotland was in Catalonia's situation, I'm sure probably the movement would be pretty much divided as well. Mm -hmm. Because the the SNP is a catch-it-all party. They have people more from the left and centre. And in a kind of situation like the one that we have here in Catalonia, I'm pretty sure they would have uh, troubles as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. Another interesting thing, uh, I think, I mean, obviously, because Brexit has had a massive influence now in Scotland in terms of the argument for another referendum. That's that's basically it. The constitutional position has changed. Um, but I, I saw a poll uh, there where Leave voters, this was in 2019, Leave voters were asked if they thought Scotland becoming independent would be a price worth paying for delivering Brexit. And only 18% said no, while 41% said yes. That kind of, I mean, a large part of Brexit was maybe down to English nationalism as well. And there's a a feeling maybe that amongst some English voters, Scotland can do their own thing. They can have their referendum. Here among maybe the general Spanish population and politicians, it's very different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, for the whole 2010s, I'd say, the Catalan independence push was the main news in Spain. It, it hit the headlines every day in newspapers, in TV, news shows. And I think the vast majority of people who contributed in Spain to talk about this issue were absolutely against uh, independence. Maybe some people in England were like, well, we don't really care about them, whatever. But in Spain, it was the main issue of the decade for the whole of Spain, you know? Yeah, I think it's different. Yeah, yeah, it's probably different. It's probably historical reasons. And as we've already said, the different kind of constitutional situation as well. I wonder, is it anything to do with the fact that Scotland makes up 8% of the UK's GDP, whereas Catalonia makes up around 20% of Spain's GDP? There could be something of that, but after so many years, I think it's basically more of an emotional, political thing. The fact that Spain considers itself a single nation and not a nation of nations, and the fact that uh, some part of you can go away seems very distressing for some people. But I would say that um, for Spain's future, and, and you were saying, Ifred, that for the last 10 years, the, the Catalan issue has been an issue in Madrid. I would say many would agree that if they are not able to solve this problem in a way, um, it will 
stay there and explode again at some point. And it creates a lot of uncertainty as well for Spain. At the end of the day, I don't know if we will ever see some pragmatism, uh, some British pragmatism in Spain, <laughs> but maybe at some point it should happen. But it's also good pointing out that in the near future, maybe demographics can play a role because uh, in both cases, the younger generations are more pro-independence, mm -hmm. whereas the elder ones are more supportive of the union. It is very unlikely that any of the two independence movements disappear because of a matter of, of demographics. Time now for our Catalan phrase. Laura, what is it this week? It is amagar el cap sota l'ala. Okay, I don't know what that means actually. You're going to have to help me out. Oh, it's quite complicated to say it in English. I think you have actually a phrase for the same situation in English. It means avoiding a conflict, just pretending it's not happening. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, like, so um, don't bury your head in the sand kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. And what does it literally mean? To hide your head below your wing. Amagal Capsotalala. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Filling the Sink. Thanks very much for joining me today, Laura and Gifre. Yeah, a pleasure. A pleasure. And, and thanks to everyone we spoke to as well. We'll be back again next week with another podcast. Until then, take care. Keep safe. Bye for now. Adios.